We're going to read together. If you would, for though we have in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And then to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, we hear something like that, and we think to ourselves, uh, are we going to talk about the supernatural today? And go, yeah, yeah, we are. And the next question that usually goes along with that is, does that mean, does that mean things are going to get weird now? And I would say to you, absolutely, absolutely things are going to get weird because, you know why? Because normal's not working. And as we notice that normal doesn't work, we have to behave in a way that might seem weird because it's not what everybody else is doing. But what everybody else is doing, it's not working. It is not working. And so having uh, the opportunity to make sure our minds have been cleared and, and focused in this category helps us. When we start looking into things in the supernatural supernatural issues, you can kind of go in a couple of different ways. And How does this play out in my regular life? Or uh, how do supernatural things impact us? And whenever you start to, to aim or to, or to focus your eyes, you can slide into overemphasis. And, and, and by that, I mean it's, it's everywhere. It's everything. Why did it happen? The devil did it. I failed the test. Why? Because of a demon. I crashed the car because of a demon. We can be too focused on demons. And maybe you remember this. Was it, I don't know, maybe Satan? Do you remember that? Did anyone ever see? Oh, that's probably before your time. The church lady from Saturday Night Live. Anyways, I remember it. It was funny for me, and I have my own jokes. Uh, we, we, we see this play out all over. The, it's, it's demons everywhere. Maybe you've met somebody like this. You go, I'm not responsible for anything. Why? Because demons. Demons did it, right? There's also the other possibility, and that's to underemphasize. There is no spiritual world. There are no spiritual things. There are no miracles. Never has been. Never will be. It's only and always a natural world. Maybe this one's actually more common. This one comes up far more people. And, and in the background is people, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to think about that. It makes me feel weird. I don't know where, where it goes Let's just not think about it. But we live in this world, and in this physical dimension, there is also a spiritual dimension. They exist at the same time and in the same places. And this is the sort of thing that is not naturally self-evident. So we need some help on trying to figure out this stuff and how it balances together. And so that's why today we want to have the beginning, an overview of a balanced biblical perspective on some of this. So that's what we're going to look at. And so we're going to start with a scripture that we just read again 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Four, the weapons that we fight with are not 
the weapons of the world. We live in a physical world. There is a spiritual world also, and there is an ongoing battle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Contrary to popular Hollywood belief, we don't engage in this battle when we decide to engage in this battle. We don't do it physically with with guns or specially blessed guns or knives or slingshots or punching spirits in the face. We battle with prayer and we battle with faith. We battle in the spiritual realm, which looks very different than the physical realm. So how do we battle? Back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You, in and of yourself, are not powerful enough to fight this battle all on your own. So do not be deceived. It's not about working harder. Do not be deceived. You have a spiritual enemy, and he is scheming against you to hurt you, to discourage you, to kill you. Your battle is not against the people that you know. It's not against your bad teacher. It's not against the government. It's not against uh, your boss, and it's not against your parents, but against the powers and principalities of this world. Because what you see is not all that there is. We have to learn this important principle. What we see with our physical eyes, what we experience with our emotions and our other senses, the physical world, is, is not the end. It's not all that there is. There's a whole other world. There is the spiritual world that is just as real and even more powerful than what takes place in the physical world. What you see is not all that there is right now. If you, you look around where you are online or in church on Main Street, and you see around, you see people, you see some seats, you see familiar things, things that you're accustomed to seeing. But there is so much more going on around us if we just had eyes to see. There is a spirit world, the forces of good versus the forces of evil, where the kingdom of darkness wages war against the kingdom of light. There's so much more that's going on than just what we can see with our eyes. But there is a battle. And knowing that there is a battle, that can make us feel nervous, make us feel unsettled. I just want happy news. Uh, It can make us feel overwhelmed. What am I going to do? I knew there was something going on. It makes us even feel perhaps afraid. But you are not alone in your battles. So back to our guy, Elisha. Uh, boy, did, he, did this guy ever live an active life, right? A neighboring king uh, is attacking Israel, and through the words of God, uh, given through his prophet Elisha, the king, uh, Elisha's king, decides to be obedient, does what God tells him to do through the prophet, and the enemy is repeatedly thwarted. They, they just can't get ahead. The enemy king does some reconnaissance, finds out that the prophet Elisha is empowered by God. That's what everyone is saying. And he sees their plans. So what to do? Well, there's no point in trying to go and just fight the nation with Elisha on the job. So they send horses, and they send chariots, and they surround the city that Elisha is in. When Elisha and his servant, they wake up the next morning, the scenery has changed. All around them are enemies. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 
15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. 16. Don't be afraid. The prophet answered. Fear not, right? Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant's got to be saying, what? 17, and Elisha prayed, O Lord, open the eyes so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. They got a glimpse. Angels, warriors, all around. They were not alone. There's more than the eye can see. You know what else? Your prayers are far more powerful than you know. There are times, there are times when you pray and it feels what well, seems like nothing is happening. You're not alone if that's the way that you have felt. You're not alone having that feeling. There's a story, the Old Testament again, where the prophet Daniel had been praying. And Daniel's a prayer man. That's why he got sent to the lion's den, right? Because of prayer. But nothing seemed to be happening for him. Then one day, an angel, a messenger, came to deliver this message. The story, you can find it in Daniel chapter 10, starting at verse 12. Um, I actually um, put up uh, on the notes, NIV, and I put in my notes, New Living Translation. Uh, sorry. Uh, so they're not, they're not going to line up exactly, and I didn't realize that until later. So, uh, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer, 13. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael... One of the archangels came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia, 14. And now I'm here to explain what will happen to your people in the future for this vision concerns a time yet to come. So can you imagine this? Another glimpse into the world that we don't see at all. Daniel prayed, and as soon as he prayed, God heard his prayer, released his angels, but for 21 days they did battle against an evil spirit. They were in the midst of a stronghold, a place where over time a dark spiritual presence has been built up. It's been fortified. When Michael the archangel appeared, he was able to hold off that evil spirit so that the other angel could come uh, to Daniel and say, God has answered your prayer. 21 one days. There is a battle going on in the spirit world, and Daniel has no idea about it. Now, when you try and tell a story like this, that's exactly what it feels like. It's a story. I'm going to tell you a story, and this is even worse. It's a Bible story. So, it's a story from the Bible, and we have this place where you can say there's reality and then there are biblical stories, right? That's so often the way, like, we just, it's a biblical story, okay? So just go with it. We believe, because Jesus believed, He gave credibility to the Old Testament. 
We don't believe the story just because it's in the Bible. We believe the story because Jesus gave it credibility, and we give Jesus our faith. So the number one question that we ask as Christians is not tell me how it all works. The number one question we ask is tell me who Jesus is. And we resolve. We figure it out through Jesus. That's our first step. And Jesus gave credibility to these stories, and he describes a spiritual kingdom as well. And so when we, when we have stories like this, we don't just suspend our view of reality. Remember, the, the, the essence, the first part of, of Christianity is who is Jesus? And we believe that the answer to that question is Jesus is the Son of God, came to earth as a man, was crucified, dead, and buried, and rose again. That's step one. So this story, it's not hard. It's not hard because I already believe in this other part. And if that's the big challenge for you to get around the supernatural side, well, the first thing you have to deal with is Jesus. Jesus is the very first starting place that we get into when we start, when we approach Christianity, when we approach the supernatural. That is our starting place. Jesus gives credibility. Jesus gives authority to the rest of Scripture. And so that's why we can take a story like this and say, this is the actual explanation. These are things that we can believe in, not just because it's an old book, but because Jesus, the Son of God, who was crucified, dead, buried, rose again, gives it credibility. It's important to have a, a whole story there. It's hard for us because we live in the physical world so much. It's hard for us to say that there is a spiritual world or that it has any real significance. We think about it for a moment and then we forget about it as we go on with our day. But we have to get into the habit of understanding that the physical world is just not all that there is. There is more going on on different levels. What you see is just not all that there is. And part of that understanding is also getting that you have a spiritual enemy, the devil. What does the devil do? Number one, he binds, he blinds the minds of the unbelievers. So maybe you're not a believer in God. Maybe you're, maybe you're listening or watching right now. You're not a believer. You're thinking, I don't, I don't know how I think about God. I don't even know if He exists. And you, you might start to feel as we start to talk about this stuff that it's hard to concentrate. Even right now, you might find it hard to focus. And you think things like, what about the butter? I think I need some butter. Uh, it's fidget. It's not focused. Don't listen to that. It's not even worth thinking about. It's all ridiculous. So hear the truth. The truth will set you free. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But that's not all. Number two, He steals God's Word from you. So you forget. You heard something. Oh, it connected with you. You were about, you were on the edge. You were going to take a next step. You were going to walk towards Jesus. Something was going to change. And the next day, you just have no recall. One day you were interested, one day it made sense, and maybe this is real, and maybe this is good, and maybe I need to embrace this, and the next day you wake up and it's just gone. No recall. Who shows up? Matthew 13, verse 19. When anyone hears about the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what was sown in his heart. So we are battling being blinded, we are battling having God thoughts stolen from our minds. 
But this battle is multi-sided. Number three, he sets traps to ensnare you. There's an enemy tracking you. He's trying to trap you. So there's any point of vulnerability, any point of weakness, any entry, any foothold, that's where he grabs on. And then something, it just always seems to come up. Whatever your thing is, it comes in for you and tempts you at that time. So you've decided, I'm going to not steal anymore. You've had a, a struggle, an issue with stealing before, and now you're left alone. You're in like the locker room, whatever. And, and everyone's gone, and there's a wallet just sitting there. No one will know. You're all alone. No one will know. I could do whatever I want. You decided that, okay, I, I had enough of this kind of party lifestyle. I really got to change the way I, I, I interact with people. And then friends just show up at your house, and they bring a keg. What do you do? How do you get away from that? You're trying to purify your mind. You're, you're, you're being conscious of your thoughts. You are redirecting them towards positive, towards the pure, towards God-honoring things. And then just out of nowhere, even when you're trying to have your own holy moment, out of nowhere, an image comes into your mind, creating a lustful thought, and then boom, it's just there. It's right there. It's right in front of you. I didn't ask for it. I don't want it. How do I get rid of it? It just comes. <coughs> You finally decided that it's time to get some control over your finances. Um, it, get it out of debt time. That's what we got to do. And then all you hear about is the big sale. The big sale just keeps coming up. Everyone's telling you, did you hear about the sale? It's on sale. You're trying to control your anger. Anger. And things just seep, keep seeming to happen around you that, that go wrong. It keeps you wrapped in this destructive sin, surrounded by that debilitating sin. You feel trapped in discouraging sin, 2 Timothy 2.26, and they came to their senses and, es- um, and escaped from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Trapped into patterns of behavior. They started as choices to which we become captive. And when you try to break free, number four, he fights to stop you. You want to tell someone about Jesus. Something's actually going on in your life, and you feel like it's time for me to say something. I got to express what's happening. You get all prepared. You're set to tell your story, and then their cell phone rings. You want to get out of debt. The bills keep piling up. The car explodes. You're trying to read more. You're trying to pray more. You're trying to get your mind focused on God, but the phone won't stop ringing. There's always something that's got to happen. The neighbors, you can hear them next door, and they won't stop fighting. You decide it's time, I need to focus, I need to come to church more, i got to be on this. And your boss just keeps scheduling you anyway. You want to be faithful in, in, in your giving. I've decided I'm going to be generous, I'm going to do this, but the temptations and the bills, they just pile up. Spiritual opposition, trying to stop you from doing what God wants you to do. 1 Thessalonians 2, 18, for we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. Number five, he plans to destroy you. He looks at you and he says, can I pick you off? Can I destroy you? What's your weak spot? I'm coming for your weak spot. And he says, believe me. Trust me. Of course this is true. No one can tell you what to do. Do what you want. It's your choice. And after you make that choice, it's ha, 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 now suffer habitual sin and the finances, the anger, the debt, the lust, the business, they all conspire to destroy your relationship with God and your relationship with the people around you. He hates you. 
And he hates you very deeply. He wants to disqualify you from your freedom, to destroy your health, sickness, disease, death. That's what he's about. He wants to consume you and feed himself, to eat you up and spit out what's left. 1 Peter 5, 8, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's the state that we're in, being hunted. And when we become aware, then we can actually do something about it. We're not just letting it all happen in the background. That's where we can begin to engage in the spiritual battle. So the Apostle Paul, he, he describes this probably more clearly than anyone else in, in Scripture, uh, any other biblical author, and he, he paints a picture that we can understand because he uses picture language, metaphors, and uh, symbolism to help us understand physically what might be happening spiritually. So we get back to 2 Corinthians 10, 3, where he reminds us, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So Paul goes on to describe them. What does that look like? How do I do that? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. That's the battle. You don't have to go out and slay the monsters. You don't have to rescue the princess from the tower. You're not climbing to the top of the mountain and going to the bottom under the mountain. Part of the victory is just not being run over or run off to stand. Waging war as the world does creates in us all sorts of feelings about requirements and potential shortcomings. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. And God knows I'm not holy enough. But the actual war is not being fought by you. It is being fought for you. And there is a really big secret about the battle that you are in, that I am in, and that we are all in together. The secret coming soon, okay? The secret comes after getting geared up. So let's gear up. How do we do spiritual battle? Before battle, you put on your armor. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Okay, so the belt of truth, uh, you can't fight with your pants down, all right? The truth sets you free. Satan is the father of lies, but you need to know the truth. So you wrap yourself in Scripture. You become connected to the truth. The truth is a person. The person is Jesus. Wrap yourself in Scripture. Tie it all together with God's Word. And put the breastplate of righteousness in place breastplate. Your heart is deceitful. Your best acts end up being like filthy rags. When you ask Jesus to be your Savior, it is His righteousness that is placed in your account. So God the Father sees Jesus, just, just like when the, when the prodigal son came home and the father put on a robe on his son, and, and so the, the father didn't see the yuck and the filth that the son had. You are not righteous. No, no one is righteous, not one, but we can be clothed in Jesus' righteousness. Fifteen, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, shoes that you've put on that are the readiness, with the readiness of the gospel of peace, supernatural 
peace, the ability to be calm in the midst of the fight. 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Shield of faith to defend yourself, to block stuff coming at you because all of these are coming at you. You are nothing. You're going nowhere. You'll always be broke. You're so lame. You're so pathetic. You'll never make a difference. You'll always be miserable. You'll never understand it all because you're stupid. You're ugly. You're dumb. You're afraid of everything. You are damaged goods. And we say, no. We reject those lies, those attacking fiery darts. We block them with the shield of faith. We respond to the lies by declaring the truth. I am who Christ says I am. Greater is the one who is in me than the one who is in the world. I have a hope and a future. God works all things together for good. The greater your knowledge, the greater your experience of God, the greater the size of your shield of faith. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. 17, take the helmet of salvation. Put on your helmet. You are not saved because you are good, and certainly not because you were good enough. Good people, good people don't go to heaven. Who's saved? Who goes to heaven? Good people don't go to heaven. You have been misinformed. You don't have to try and figure out how to balance your good deeds and make them weigh more than your bad deeds. It's not a balancing act. There is no amount of good that you can do to counteract the bad that you've already done. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Only through faith not through works. You didn't earn it. Then you were secure in faith. No one can snatch you away. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, 18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Everything we have uh, been given so far has been about defense, protection, but we're given one offensive weapon. Our weapon the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You need to know God's Word. If you don't know it, you'll have a very hard time fighting. If we know it, we can. You, you can fight like Jesus did. When Jesus was tempted, Jesus kept saying, it is written. So your front is covered, but your back is open. Who's got your back? Other believers. You need to be connected to other believers so that you can stand, go back to back. You protect each other. You support each other. You lift each other up. You love one another. You serve one another. You pray for one another. You bear one another's burdens. Don't stand alone and pray in the Spirit on all kinds of occasions to ask God to do battle on your behalf. Hear this part, because this part's important. We need not fear. 
We don't have to live a life of fear. Fear is one of the greatest temptations that Satan uses, and it is a lie. Here is the truth. This is the big secret that I hinted to you at before. Not really a secret, honestly. It's just a not-believed truth. It's just a not-acted-upon truth. Here it is. We do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. That's why we stand. Stand firm then. We don't go racing all about so that when the day of evil comes, you can be found standing. Because Jesus has already won the battle. 1 John 4, 4, you, dear children, are from God. And you have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Having our mind focused on the truth enables us to see things in a different way. In the midst of, when you lack those shoes fitted with the gospel of peace, you get wound up. You get scared. You get running in a circle. You get frazzled. You can't think clearly. God's peace comes so that you can put things in the right order. You can align them correctly. Jesus first, everything else after. What is it that I need to readjust so that as I live this week facing who knows what, I will be set to face it unafraid, not unopposed, but not alone. There will be challenges. They will not come to you wrapped as spiritual battle. But the pursuit of Jesus is part of that battle. Having your mind in a place where it is focused on Him, following what He has asked for, not dumping garbage into your life, enables you to stay focused so that you are not distracted. So frequently, what we get lost in is the distraction. We get wound up, running in a circle. We can't stay focused. Our mind wanders. And as it wanders, it leads us into places that we don't want to go. But the one who is in you, the Holy Spirit is more powerful than the one that is in the world. You don't need to fear. You are not alone. This battle is a partnership just like everything else. You be faithful like the king that Elisha was talking to. You do as God says, God fights in advance. Now, I also understand it's not a perfectly straight road. We have to reset. That's why we do Checkpoint Sundays. Because in a perfect world, we would all go in a straight line and we'd never have any issues. But our Checkpoint Sundays are the time that we come back. We look at where we are and we say, is this where we really want to be? And we choose to reset at those points because frequently we have wandered. We have got discouraged. We've got distracted. And Checkpoint Sundays are the chance to bring us back to say, I need to realign. I need to make sure it's focused again. My eyes on Jesus, everything else after that. 
That's why we remember what God has done. That's why we go over those things to um, reconnect with Him. I wandered. It's going to happen. We choose to come back into alignment. And it's the same way we work with our other relationships as well. Sometimes we wander. Sometimes we get into stress. Sometimes we get into fights. We wander. We choose to come back into alignment. We choose to make things right. That's why forgiveness plays such a large role in what we're doing. We forgive. We are forgiven. We are reconnected so that the battle goes on around us but we can engage in it more effectively and not just be pushed aside, insignificant. If you don't face any opposition, it's because you're no threat, because you don't make a difference. You, you, you're, not, you're not risking in that spiritual kind of way that is pushing forward against those distractions to push you down. Let's pray. Kind Father, I recognize that I'm in a battle. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't want to fight it alone. I don't want to be by myself. So God, will you please help me? God, we know that as we pray, you are working. When, when we are attacked, help us to cry out, to not feel like we're just alone. We're told that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Help us to live that truth out. We face decisions all the time, and in, in time like this, it's easy to uh, let it pass. But we have the opportunity to take a next step or to walk away. Do we come closer to you in this time, or do we walk farther away? We know that as you think about these things, we might very well hear other voices that say, not today, not now. You can't live like that. You're going to fail. Take some more time. Think about it. Don't rush in. If you do, people will make fun of you. It's not going to work out. Come on, who do you think you are? Today, once again, we have the choice to take a step towards Jesus or a step away. That's where we are right now. Who do you believe? What action will we take? God, I pray that you would give us guidance to take what we have heard and take the step that is next for us, to not be afraid of it, but to walk into it, to walk towards you. Guide us, guard us, protect us, we pray, that we might live the life that we have been called to live. In Jesus' name, amen.